Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. It's going to be a good day. Um, Pastor Andy, he's going to bring the word, and it's a word. Like, I know this because he prayed and prayed and prayed over it, and I've talked to him this week, and I know the prayer that he put in. So I'm going to get out the way. Go for it. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Wasn't worship awesome? Such a strong presence of the Lord every single time. It's so awesome to see that, you know, as we worship, God is faithful to show up. Uh, such a sweet presence this morning. So, well, I'm, I'm uh, Andy, or uh, Pastor Andy, however you want to, whatever you want to call me by, I'll answer to pretty much everything. So, um, you'll be happy to know this morning that I'm not going to share a joke with you. So, um, just be relieved, you have at least, well, Pastor Ben's preaching the next week, so you got a couple weeks before you have to hear another joke, so you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> um, I, honestly, I, I did look you know, I tried to search the internet for something, and I couldn't find anything. So I was like, you know what? I think I think people just need a break, anyways, from uh, joke sharing. So, uh, at any rate, um, I wanted to officially introduce myself uh, and my family. Uh, my wife, Jessie, is right there. She's beautiful, and uh, we've been married for 12 years, and uh, we have two uh, beautiful little girls. I don't know if you've seen them running around. Eliora is about yay tall, and Evelyn's about yay tall, and uh, they're beautiful. And uh, they just brighten my day. And uh, so we're here. We, we moved um, from Missouri. Uh, I guess everyone probably knows where that is. Uh, but we're from Kentucky originally, uh, just, you know, about three hours up north. Uh, so I am, I am sorry. I, I do bleed blue. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a big Blue Nation boy, born and raised. Uh, I'm, I'm not a Vols fan. Please don't hold that against me. Um, you know, it's just, it just is what it is. I'm getting a couple of uh, heads shaking, and so, um, yeah. Um, so, the big question is, um, why are we here? And that's, you know, honestly, that's, that's been a question that's been burning on my mind the last couple months as, as we've been transitioning. Like, honestly, we had everything, you know, we had everything going together for us, and things were great in Missouri. We didn't have any reason to lead except, you know, when you get that tug from the Holy Spirit, Right? And he says, you know, I want you to do that. And then so then you pray and you're like, are you sure? Are you sure? And then over and over and over again, um, you hear God respond. And he says, yes, I want you to do that. So we are here on obedience. You know, we stepped out in faith, believing that God has something amazing in Columbia, specifically with this church, and that he wants to advance the kingdom with using C1 here in Columbia. So we're here I'm here to, to link arms with that guy, and whatever I can do to be of assistance, whatever I can do to help, I'm here to build the kingdom. So that's why we're here. It's just simply because God told us to, and so we're just being obedient to that. And you know, that's a good principle to live by, isn't it? Would you guys agree with that? It's a good principle to live by that as you hear the Lord speak, you need to be obedient to that, whatever that looks like, even if it's something crazy, like moving from Missouri, moving your entire family um, from, from where, you, where you've put down roots and you develop friendships and you've gotten close to people and God just says, I want you to go. And you're like, okay, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to advance the kingdom and be a part of building the kingdom together. So, so that's who we are. That's who I am. Um, that's, that's who we are. 
And uh, we're just really excited to be here. We love the area. We love Tennessee. It's a lot closer to, to what I call home. I'm only about three hours from family instead of eight. So uh, we're excited about that and what that looks like for our family. Um, so, But we are wrapping up a sermon series on the book of Daniel um, called Identity Crisis. And I just want to start by reading the story of Daniel in the lion's den. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 28. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, um, it's actually up on the screen for you. So um, you, can, you can look up there as well. Um, and by the way, I'm not Pastor Ryan. just want everybody to know that. Um, I, I need notes. Like, he puts it, like, way behind here, and he looks at it, like, once or twice, and he's good. I'm like, how do you do that? It just blows me away, but, you know, God's gifted him for that ability, and uh, I, I don't have those kinds of giftings. So I'm going to, you know, I have my sermon notes in front of me this morning. Uh, but Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Now, if you remember last week, it was Belshazzar, right? And then Belshazzar died, and Darius the Mede took over. But before that, it was Nebuchadnezzar, right? Daniel was about 15 whenever Nebuchadnezzar came in um, and um, basically just, you know, pillaged the area and and took captives. Um, So it was Nebuchadnezzar, then it was Belshazzar, and then it was Darius the Mede, or as we learned, it was also Cyrus, which is kind of a cool, cool thing. But by then, Daniel was over 80 years old, and um, he had served under three different kings in Babylon. So he had had a legacy of serving under these kings of which they were in uh, captivity. And um, what's kind of cool is that, you know, Daniel was, was up there in the kingdom, wasn't he? So it was like the king, and then it was like three officers, and then it was 120 other appointed people to kind of rule the kingdom. And uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, And then it goes on to say, because of Daniel's great ability, the kings made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling uh, government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. And I want you to to really kind of highlight this this morning. He was faithful he was always responsible, completely trustworthy. Can you say that with me this morning? Faithful, always, tr- always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators were jealous of Daniel. They were, de- they were jealous because at that point they were peers and the king wanted to elevate Daniel above them, and they didn't like that. They were, they were jealous uh, of them, and Daniel was about to become their boss. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and say, said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, the, so King Darius signed the law. But when Darius learned that the law had been signed, and this is important, make note of this, what did he do? He went home and he knelt down as usual in, in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. 
just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands as the official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So what throws me at that is, you know, I thought that he was the king, right? So, like, for me, if you're the king, you're the king, and you, you should be able to do whatever you want. But that's, you know, that's just, as, me, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, you're the king. You, know, you could change that if you wanted to, but, but I guess he didn't want to. Um, but then it says, um, let's see, that cannot be revoked. They, then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can, can be changed. So the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested, and they threw him or, and thrown into the den of lions. So let me just kind of set the scene here before we move on. Um, so lions are big, aren't they? You guys been to the Nashville Zoo? We just went like uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. I don't know. I lose track of time really easy. But we went and we saw, we saw some lions. I do believe we saw some lions. And uh, they are massive. They, they can, can weigh up to 500 pounds, and they can grow up to four feet tall, which is like, I don't know, about right here because I'm six foot. Uh, and they can, can, can grow up to eight foot long. So these are big beasts. Their bite can be up to 700 pounds per square inch, and they can consume about 100 pounds of meat in a single day. That's a lot of meat. I don't think I could eat that much meat. Uh, That's a lot. Um, They are uh, considered an apex predator, so they're like at the top of the food chain. So there's nothing that's above a lion in terms of the food chain. They're an apex predator. So these are big beasts. And poor Daniel, he was over 80 years old when he was thrown into the pit. So I have grandparents that are around that age, and it, I just can't imagine my poor grandfather being thrown into a den of lions. Like, it, that, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, things were not going to look good for Daniel in, in, uh, in the long run there. It just, it, yeah. Um, so the king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue him, rescue you. So what kind of struck me at that point, that the king knew about Daniel, and he knew that Daniel served the Lord. He knew that Daniel served the Lord. So that means that Daniel wasn't silent about his love or his devotion to God. So Daniel, as he's, as he's serving the king, as he's making, building relationships with the king, he's talking about God to this Babylonian king, this King Darius. And, and, you know, I wonder, and this is maybe even just for me, maybe it's for, for you guys as well, but could the same be said about us? Like, are we silent in our workplaces or other places in life when we should be vocal? I think a lot of, for a lot of us, we kind of might err on just being more silent than vocal. But, but Daniel was brave, like a lion, and he wasn't afraid to share with the king about his God. 
We need to be people who are listening to the Holy Spirit, and we, not, we need to not be afraid to speak when we feel like we need to speak. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we need to be able to speak whenever he says that it's time for us to speak. And Daniel was really good at this. Uh, moving on from the story. A, da- a stone uh, was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Fairly early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out, of the, 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 uh, hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the, the, the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. So I notice in stories like this that they always leave those facts out of um, the children's Bibles, you know, that, that you buy at the store. Um, they, they never add, they never include those, those details for some reason. It's, it's just like, um, David with Goliath, you know, after he slew Goliath, what did he do? He took his sword and he chopped his head off, you know, I'm like, why do they not include that, you know, in those children's books? Um, but we actually got our kids like real, real Bibles. And so I was reading my daughter, the story of, of Daniel uh, a couple months ago and I got to this part, and I was like, oh, my goodness, it's in there. Like, but it really happened, you know? So, but they definitely leave those, those parts out, and uh, probably for, for good reason. Uh, but, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like, they threw, um, they threw those men and their wives and their children into that pit, and they were devoured. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout the kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of, of the lions. So Daniel prospered through the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So the title of my message this morning, I know that was a lot to read, but I felt like we needed to, to know the story. Um, but the title of my message this morning is How to Survive the Lion's Den. So I kind of want to share my story a little bit because that's part of what we are here at C1, right? We, we share our story. And uh, believe it or not, I was attacked by a lion. No joke. It's, this, is a, this is a true story. And my wife can attest to that because she was there. Now, it was stuffed. It was a stuffed Simba doll. There was, no, this is a real story, I promise you. There was 80 pounds. So this thing was, was ma- oh, that's what we were estimating, but it was massive. And we were in Florida on a trip um, with uh, some other Christian friends that went to the same college that I went to, uh, Kentucky Wesleyan there in Owensboro. And uh, 12 years ago, uh, I was a freshman then. I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, 
And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, thump. And they had chucked this large Simba doll. Uh, it was like a Lion King theme type condo. So they had like Simba and Timon and Pumbaa and some other um, different. Actually, that was the, the master suite. There were other suites that were other Disney themed as well. Um, but this particular one had a big stuffed Simba doll that probably had some sort of concrete base to it because this thing was hefty. Well, they threw it over the balcony, and I guess they were thinking that um, it was just going to land next to me, but it did not land next to me because it landed on my head, and it actually caused my C6 and C7 vertebrae to be lodged into my spinal cord, and I was paralyzed instantly. And actually, I still have the scar. So, I mean, I'm not making this story up. This is a true, true story. Complete freak accident, and yet I survived a lion attack. And, you know, I'm standing here before you today. I Honestly, they didn't think I was going to walk again because it had caused that much damage. But I know a God, and I know people who prayed for me. So I'm, a, I'm li- literally a walking testimony to the fact that God still heals today. And that's, that's my story. And I, honestly, from that point, like that redirected my entire life. Like I was supposed to be, well, I was going to school at that time to be a music teacher. And God was like, nope, I got something else for you. And so th- that moment, you know, it broke me, but God built me and put me back together and he healed me. And, you know, just the recovery was just amazing. And the only, the only, the only reason could be that people prayed and that, that God listened, and, and I was healed. You know, they, they did, the doctors did all they could. They, they did an anterior fusion of, those, of those, um, those bones, and they put in a titanium plate and all that. Uh, but they honestly didn't think I was going to be able to walk again or play an instrument or, or whatever the case may be. But, but God had other plans, and I survived a lion attack. And that's, that's kind of my, my cool story. And uh, really, I mean, it changed my life. And uh, for the better, you know, because through that, you know, we, me and my wife, you know, we were, we knew each other. But after that, we kind of started talking a little bit. And, uh, well, the rest is history. Here we are 12 years later, two beautiful little girls, and uh, life is good. Um, so that's kind of my, my story, my personal testimony. Um, so question, how do you survive the lion's den? And that's the question that I kind of want to pose this morning. You know, for Daniel, like the lion's den was a real place, right? Filled with real lions. And I would imagine that a lot of us here today were never going to, thankfully, right, be in that predicament where we're thrown into a den of lions. So thankfully, that's not us. But for Daniel, that was a real place. It was filled with real lions. And yet, you know, the story of Daniel and the lion's den is so well known that, that people also use that term metaphorically, Right? They'll say, well, that person's really going into the lion's den today, you know, as they go into that board meeting or whatever the case may be. So lion's den can also mean this, a place or state of extreme disadvantage, antagonism, or hostility. And I saw that, and I was like, wow, that is really, really good, because I feel like that's where a lot of people find themselves today. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you found yourself in a place of extreme disadvantage, antagonism, or hostility. I mean, we've all been through it, right? 
yeah, I mean, I've been through it. You know, this whole move, I feel like that, you know, it's just been one attack of the enemy after another, and it's because God has something amazing in store for this church, and the enemy doesn't like it. So I feel like we've, ran, we've been run through the lion's den a little bit, and there are others here today that I'm sure that you've either, you're either in the middle of that lion's den or you're just coming out of it. So maybe for you, like it's a lion's den at work. Maybe it's at home. You know, right now, politics and our government, that's, that's a real mess, right? And just all the, all the uh, things that we're dealing with as a nation, that's a real lion's den. And I, w- I would say 2020 was a year of the lion's den, right? And we're still not out of it. So what, what should our response be to the lion's den? Like, actually, in the lion's den or metaphorically. And our response should be this, that we should be like Daniel. That we should imitate the life of Daniel. So what can we glean from his life? Well, this is my first point for the day is that Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of integrity. It says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful. He was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. You know, my fire Bible notes said that Daniel's enemies could could, could find no way to accuse him of wrongdoing. Their only chance of condemning him would be to establish an official government requirement that conflicted with Daniel's loyalty to God. So Daniel had integrity. And I want to kind of define that a little bit this morning. Integrity, in my mind, this is what integrity means. It means the same throughout. That who you are on the inside matches who you project on the outside. Like it should be the same. There shouldn't be any difference between the two. So when I think of integrity, I, I always kind of have this picture of this, this giant tree that's fallen into the water. Maybe I've heard this before. I don't know. But it always just comes to mind when I think of the word integrity. And there's this giant tree. It's fallen over into the water, right? It's been disconnected from its source. And maybe on the outside, that thing looks really nice, right? Looks super, super nice. But on the inside, that would be a different story because it's already began to rot. It's already began to decay. It's been disconnected from the source. And if you were trying to walk on that thing, even though it looks like it would be sturdy, guess what? It would not be sturdy. And you would fall right through into the water. And to make matters worse, you know, that, that tree that's fallen over into the water, it's been in that stagnant environment so long that it's, been, it's, been, it's causing it to decompose, like, even more quickly. You know, God wants to build us up from the inside out. And he wants to give us life. And to do that, we have to remain connected to the source. You know, I believe today that there's a connection between godly integrity and time spent in the presence of Jesus. And I believe the more time that you spend in the presence, the more like God you become. And God is full of integrity. So we begin to take on his characteristics. We begin to take on his nature. And all of a sudden, it's not the sinful nature that's been inside of us that's causing us to not be people of integrity, but it's God's nature inside of us. 
And, and Jesus had a little bit to say about this. He said in John chapter 15, 1 through 4, and I'm not sure if that's up there or not, Ashley. John chapter 15. If not, it's okay, I'll read it. Okay, John chapter 15, 1 through 4. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We got to stay connected to the, to the source. We got to stay connected to Jesus. And I believe that, that, that brings character and integrity to our lives. Daniel was faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. His walk matched his talk. And I believe that we need to be people of integrity, especially, especially in the face of opposition. And I threw this in last night, so it's probably not up there. But another scripture verse that kind of came to mind is that, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. And that's Psalms chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. Daniel was a man of integrity, and we need to be people of integrity too. Second point. Daniel was a man who understood God's authority. That's my second point, is that Daniel was a man who understood God's authority. It says, verse 10 there, that first part, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. So, you know, the, the administrators here, they made it illegal to pray to God. Punishable by death. So, if they caught you praying to God, instead of King Darius, you were going to be punished to death. That's, that, was, that was the law that was written. But what did Daniel do? He prayed. And why did he do that? Like, did he not know the law? He absolutely knew the law, right? Because it says up here that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed... He prayed. So he knew exactly what the law was. He knew what the stakes were, and he prayed anyways. And I think it's because Daniel knew something about authority, right? And Ryan kind of alluded to this last week, I believe. Daniel knew to obey government authority until that authority contradicted God's ultimate authority. So Daniel knew a little something about authority, and he knew that God does indeed have ultimate authority, right? Like, the governments, they do their deal, right? And there, there are passages of Scripture that talk about how those governments are put in place and ordained by God to rule men. But when those governments and those systems of government contradict what God is asking us to do, then we need to obey God first. And uh, Isaiah 40, 22, it says, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a, like a curtain 
and makes his tent from them. So we see that, that God does indeed sit above the circle of the earth and that he is actually the ultimate authority. And, you know, I want to say for now, like we have it really good here in America. Would you guys agree with me on that? We have it really, really good. There are other nations around the world. I think there are like 52 countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, to carry the word of God. And most of those countries, it's, it's, it's punishable by death. So we have a lot of freedoms here that I think we can enjoy. There are other Christians in those countries who they're gladly laying their lives down because they won't submit to a hostile government who tries to supersede God's authority. And I like how the apostles responded to authority. If you look in, in Acts uh, chapter 5, 27, and then also 29, it says, Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. And they told them, basically, you can't preach the name of Jesus. That's what they said. You can't preach in the name of Jesus. You can't preach about Jesus. But, the, but Peter and the apostles requ- replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And that was their stance. So we're not going to budge on this. We're not going to bend on this because we believe that God has given us this directive. He's given us this mission to spread the name of Jesus around the world. And they weren't going to budge because they understood what authority was. And they understood that God is at the top. And then it's earthly governments below that. So we, we, we are to submit to governing authorities. Like, there are, there are rules and systems in place, right? Like, it's, it's illegal to drive down the highway at 120 miles an hour because you could hurt somebody, right? You have to stop at a stoplight. You know, those, you, have, you gotta pay your taxes. Gotta pay your taxes. These are things that we have to do because it's the law. It's the law. So we're to submit to those governing authorities until, right, those government authorities contradict the ultimate authorities. Then we have to obey God as the ultimate authority. And with that, we have to be willing to accept the result, right? Like it could be 20, 30, 50, 100, I don't know, years into the future where it might be illegal here in the United States to be a Christian. What are we going to do? We have to think about these things, don't we? And we have to be willing to accept the result. Like, personally, throw me in prison. You know, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus before men. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be obedient to God. All right, and this is my third point. Daniel was a man devoted to prayer no matter the cost. He prayed three times a day, and this is Daniel chapter 6, um, 10b. Uh, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And you know what struck me about this passage of Scripture is that Daniel prayed with the windows open, just as he had always done. Like, he prayed knowing that he would probably be seen by these people that were making this law. He wasn't afraid of the officials, he wasn't afraid of the king, and he wasn't afraid of the decree. And he knew what the punishment was, and yet he still prayed. And another thing that struck me is that prayer for Daniel was routine. It says, just as he had always done. So, for Daniel, 
prayer was very, very vital to, to his daily routine. Like I said that he prayed three times a day, and, and many Christians, I believe, struggle to pray even three times a week, maybe even three times a month. And that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. You know, we need to be people of prayer. You know, and it's not about the amount of time that we're praying or how often it's that we are doing it and that we are in communion with the Father. You know, the Bible talks, I think Paul talks about, you know, praying without ceasing so that, that every, every step that we take, every, every point in our, in our daily routine is this connection and this communion with the Father. And I think the statistic is like the average Christian might pray two minutes a day. And then pastors aren't even much above that. And that's a really sad statistic. And we wonder why we're not effective in the kingdom. It's because we're not praying. And, you know, I'm thankful. I want to give honor where honor's due for a lead pastor like, like Ryan. I know this man prays. He, he'll text me, hey, I, I was up. God woke me up. And I've been praying for you. And I'm sure there's many of you in this room that have maybe gotten those texts, or he, he's prayed for you, and you know that he is, he is bending the ear of God for you. And I think we need to model the life of, of Pastor Ryan, and I think we need to be people of prayer. And I'm thankful to be here because I know that this church values prayer. I mean, we have prayer service every other Wednesday night, and I've been to the two, since I've been here, I've been to, to the two that we've had, and it's such an amazing time because we're literally just praying. We're interceding. And the, the presence of the Lord is, is, is always here. And it's such an amazing time. But we got to also count the cost. And, and make no, no mistake, your life of prayer will actually cost you. And for Daniel, that cost was his life. Like, his life was on the line because he prayed. He was thrown into the lion's den. For you, you could miss out on, on time that you could be maybe doing other things. You miss out on a little sleep. You could miss out on, on binge watching Netflix or whatever the case may be. Whatever you like to fill your time with, you're going to miss out on those things because you're spending time in prayer. You know, coming here on a Wednesday night, you could be missing out on your favorite TV show. Or whatever the case may be. But, you know, that's, that's a small price to pay, isn't it? Because these are the things that you gain whenever you pray. I believe when you pray, the first thing that you gain is you gain perspective. And you begin to see what God sees. And you get to catch the heartbeat of God for people. And God begins to give you that, that heavenly spiritual perspective that helps kind of shape how you see the world. I believe praying gives you, gives you strength, inner strength that builds you up. It gives you peace. It gives you power. It endows you with, with, with authority, all because you're prayed up. And, you know, we, we look at the life of Jesus, and Jesus modeled that life of prayer. And I've seen it, you see it time and time again in Scripture you know, so many times we see Jesus and he gets away from all the noise and the distractions and he spent time with his father. And I believe that that was very crucial to his, his life and his ministry, getting away. And you see that when he comes back, he's ready to go and he's healing people and he's driving out demons and those kinds of things. 
Luke chapter 5, 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness or to lonely places for prayer. And you know, that got me thinking, like, if Jesus, the Son of God, who is part of the Godhead, needed that time, how much more do we need that time? That's so, so important. And I'm convinced that prayer changes things. And they say, and it's very true, that, that every revival in history was birthed out of, out of prayer movements. If you look and see where there was a mighty move of God, you always look right before that and you see well, where people had been praying for years and years for a move of God. And it's like the windows of heaven opens up and God just pours it out. And you see revival sweeping the streets. So if we want to see kingdom results in Colombia, we need to be praying for this city. Because I believe that revival, well, first needs to start with us, right? Revival first needs to start here. But as we begin to pray and we begin to seek God and we begin to pray for those people who are outside the four walls of this church, God's going to change our heart for those people. And we're going to be compelled to go tell those people about Jesus. And it's going to change their lives, and it's going to change Colombia for the better. You know, an enemy, the enemy loves a prayerless church, and a prayerless church means a, power, uh, a, a powerless one. So let's be a church that values prayer. Let's be here on, on Wednesday nights when we have prayer nights, and let's really intercede for, for the needs of this church, the needs of this community, and for this city. And this is my last point today. Ben, you can come on up if you want. So Daniel was um, a man of integrity. Daniel was a man who understood God's authority. And lastly, Daniel was a man devoted to prayer no matter the cost. But as I begin to study this out, and this was really cool, it's so cool to see Scripture in his entirety, and you see the story of Daniel, as we all know here today, it's Old Testament, right? But we look at the story of Daniel, and there's so many comparisons with the story of, of Daniel, especially Daniel in the lion's den, with the story of Jesus that we find. And it's like God knew what he was doing when he wrote the Bible and whenever he, he laid history out. And so really, Daniel's story points to Jesus. And so I want to close this morning by talking about Jesus, because I think that's the most important thing that I could ever talk about, is Jesus, right? So here's some comparisons. And if you look at the story of Daniel, you can't help but see similarities between Daniel and Jesus. Daniel was, was known as a man was of integrity, right? He was faithful. He was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. And then we look at Jesus, who is the ultimate example. And honestly, we should, we should be like Daniel, but we should definitely strive to be like Jesus. Because Jesus was the perfect example of how we should be living our lives and how we should be walking our life out. Jesus was a man without any fault. He was perfect, and he was blameless, 
and he was sinless. He was spotless. Both Daniel and Jesus, as we've learned, were both committed to prayer. They were both committed to prayer. Both Daniel and Jesus were accused, and they were arrested unjustly. They were falsely accused. Daniel was thrown into a pit, sealed up, and left to die because of sinful man. Jesus died, and he was also placed in a sealed tomb for the sin of mankind. God saved Daniel from being consumed by the lions. And Jesus, being fully God, was raised to life, and he saved us from being consumed by our sins. And let me be clear, you know, Daniel was only human. Now, I don't, you know, I want to try to make the claim that he was like a pre-Jesus, because I don't believe that. But I believe the story has a lot of striking similarities. And I wanted to end talking about Jesus this morning. Because that's the most important thing. Is that Jesus came and he bled and he died and he made a way for us to have access to the Father. And not only do we need to know that, and there may be some here that you've never made that decision to follow after Jesus. There may be some within the sound of my voice, because I know this is going up on the internet, that you've never made that decision to follow after Jesus. We need to know and understand where we are with the Father. And we need to know and understand that Jesus came to to rid us from sin and, and to give us new life. And that's the most important thing this morning. But then if you're if you're good this morning and you know where you are with Jesus, that's great. There are other people outside the walls of this church that they're not right with Jesus. There's a there Jesus said, look out there and see that the harvest that the fields are ripe with harvest. And then he says, pray to the Lord to send harvesters out into the field. Like there's a whole world out there that all we have to do is just go out there and harvest souls. But instead, we're cooped up and we shrink back. And, and that's not the way that you build a kingdom. So we need, to, we need to be like Daniel, but we also need to be like Jesus, and we need to follow after God, and we need to follow after the heart of God for people. So I just want to pray this morning. And if you, if you want to respond this morning, that's great. If not, that's okay. And, and I pray that in some way God spoke to you this morning and used me. I, let, let me tell you, I'm, this is not my thing but I'm obedient and I'm willing. And I pray that in some form or fashion, God is speaking to you this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and maybe maybe telling you something maybe that you need to do or you need to do better. You know, because now's the time for us to, to rise up and be who we need to be. And we, want, we need to make a difference in this community. So let me just pray for you. God, we just thank you for who you are. Jesus, first of all, we just thank you for your blood that just purchased our salvation and made a way for us to have right standing with you, that we were lost. And because you, Jesus, stepped into time, that you 
you derobed yourself and you came and you humbled yourself as a man and you you were submissive to the Father to the point of death on the cross and you made a way for us by purchasing our salvations as you took upon the sin of mankind and you, you, you bore those sins on a cross and then you rose again. Jesus, we thank you for that. God, help us to live different because of that. Help us to be people of integrity, people that are, that are committed to prayer, people that understand who you are, God, that you are a God of authority. And help us, God, to simply love people where they are And help us, God, to be committed to reaching people in our communities for you, Jesus. Help us to build the kingdom. We love you, we bless you, and it's all for you. In Jesus' name.